0: Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. My guest today is a lawyer whose business acumen launched him into a unique 20-year career in Asia, Africa, Middle East, and Eastern Europe, helping people gain access to clean water, education, and employment something he calls strategic social impact investments. He's joining me today because he is throwing his hat in the ring for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Thank you for joining me, Grant. Thank you very
1: much, pleasure to be here.
0: Grant, what's going on right now in your world that says, hey, I wanna help out when it comes to Canada and the Conservatives?
1: The primary answer to that question is that we've had two and a half years of COVID response we've had a massive deterioration in terms of our nation's understanding of what our civil liberties mean, what the application of the charter means to our rights and freedoms, Um, right across the spectrum of Canadians of all faiths and all persuasions. uh, We have seen the invocation of emergency powers without the appropriate uh, tests being met. We have seen our privacy abolished, we've seen our medical uh privacy issues uh distorted so that there are are millions of canadians now that can't travel on tax paid for infrastructure um and we see for the most part a conservative party that in this last two years has been muted in its response we've had two elections now where many of these issues have been identified by the liberals as happening in the terms of in terms of uh, explaining that we are going to have a reset explaining that we are moving to be a post-nation state. And yet these questions aren't being discussed. They are cancerous in terms of what the root system of this nation is about and returning us to a framework that built the nation, which is an understanding of the supremacy of God and the rule of law in action. And when I say the supremacy of God, I mean that place where our inalienable rights flow from. And um, we need to not be apologetic about having discussions about this. And uh, it's, it's exactly that nervousness that's allowing the, this, uh, this ideological embedding of issues and agendas that we're seeing the Liberal government roll out to start what we understand our country to be.
0: You know, you, you got a whole list there of things. So these things... Uh, bothered you, pushed you, and you just couldn't be silent any longer is what I'm hearing. Explain what you mean by uh, a post-nation state. You said we're becoming a post-nation state.
1: Well, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has has explained to Canadians that Canada will be the first post-nation state. That's a very interesting discussion because a lot of North Americans have no concept of what it means to be a post-nation state. If you look at what happened in Europe, you will have seen in the last few years the UK leaving the EU, and they they left the EU because they weren't feeling like they were in control of their money or their, their laws and their borders. And what was happening was the sovereignty of the British people was being pulled into the structure of the EU. Uh, the European Union and the governance that was emanating from Brussels. So our parallel in Canada to begin to answer that question is that when the Liberal government talks about Canada becoming a post-national state, it means that there's going to be a much greater difference from the authority of the individual to exercise a vote in Canada and influence our governance when our, when our government or our sovereignty begins to migrate towards the UN. So post-nationhood means it, that the nation and the structure or the legal structure, the uh, sovereignty of the people moves from being held within its own government into a structure that is other than that. And the only other than that, that we have uh, in our understanding of the international legal framework is the UN. And so that's the destination point for becoming a post-national state. And we have a lot to learn from the UK for recognizing that their understanding of their way of life, the spirit of their people uh, and their ability to self-determine as a nation was being lost embedded within the European Union.
0: How would you weave into this? There's a lot of terms that are being bandied around, thrown around, that I actually wonder if people have sat down and just thought them through and what they mean. Like, how would you tie into what you just said, the word globalism or nationalism?
1: Well, uh, globalism has, has been a term that's related to the international trade and removing of uh, borders and boundaries to facilitate trade. And that is exactly how the European Union started. It started as a trade compact that made a great idea, was a great idea for nations to come together and, and create their uh, uh, leverage, kind of bargaining power in a trade block. But what it became was a social experiment that started to dilute their own understanding of their nationality where they, they stopped being Dutch or Belgian or, or French and started to become European. And that came with social policy changes that shaped the each country that maybe the people in the country didn't want or didn't vote for because it came from a centralized, uh, government in Brussels. And so, um, Globalism is about trade. What we're talking about here is forfeiting our, our nationalism, our nationalist understanding of our nation, which is this concept of post-nation state. Like we're moving away from that, what, what I would call a Westphalian state, to some kind of conglomerate or supra-state like the EU
0: has become. A lot of, of the emerging generations today, I mean, our universities and everywhere else, you know, they would have a, um, depending, words change and then we use different words to say different things, which is why I, I like defining things when people speak. But, you know, they look at nationalism or being proud of your country, being strong for your country as a problem when people around the world um, have lack and we have so much you know, that they see this as just meaning everybody should just share and share alike, very socialistic in their thinking. What's your thought on the word nationalism? What would we tell them?
1: Well, nationalism, I think, has been expressed in so many ways. I think we saw a nationalistic, a nationalist response in the trucker convoy because we saw everyday Canadians uh, representing the values that everyday Canadians know is what Canada is. So uh, we saw people um, interested in their way of life, we saw uh, helpful neighbours, we saw joy, we saw peace, we saw community, Uh, and we saw a response to a government that is ebbing away at those uh, principles and people are feeling it across the country. And so that's a good uh, understanding of what uh, nationalism about. It's pride in your country. It's loving your country. Uh, and uh, in some ways, so many Canadians at a point, maybe in the last 18 months, were starting to get sick when they saw the Canadian flag because it, it didn't resonate anymore with what they knew Canada to be. And I think in the last six or seven months, uh, starting with the trucker convoy, there starting, started to be a resonance again with pride in our nation. And so when I talk about nationalism, and you're asking me about nationalism, that's what it means. And can't, the, the maple leaf on our flag is about uh, the peace that we, standing for peace in the international world and bringing peace to uh, the countries around the world. And we have a great track record of that, and that's part of our legacy and our heritage as a nation. And we should never apologize or be ashamed of that. In fact. Uh, We should be people that love our country and um, moving towards helping people internationally. We help people internationally when we're strong and independent and resilient and we're creating wealth so that we can we can take care of our families and we can pass it on to our children and grandchildren. And then we can be a blessing to nations. One of the challenges in this distinction that you're raising is that uh, what we hear Marxism doing and the Marxist Marxist ideology in in the nation is actually reducing us down from strength to weakness. So we share our resources and um, we hardly have enough for ourselves. And we're we're seeing that happen now with the erosion of family businesses and jobs and people losing jobs because they refuse to tell the government about their private medical information.
0: I've heard it said by people that The countries that have the most freedom and free enterprise are the places that they look after the marginalized and the hurting the best. Would you agree with that statement?
1: I I would agree with that. And that's been the root system of the Conservative Party, too, because the Conservative Party has been about prudent fiscal responsibility while also finding the symmetry to create social policy to assist the most vulnerable. And that's exactly what we need to be doing, and that's what Canada has been about. And we're losing that message, even in the leader the leaders' discussions. Now we're not hearing that.
0: I've heard the comment that Canada has forfeited its sovereignty. Would you agree with that, or what would you mean by that?
1: When I uh, talk about uh, that concept of forfeiting our sovereignty. Uh, I don't think we forfeited our sovereignty. I think we're sleepwalking to the edge of a cliff where that'll happen. And unless Canadians start to realize that there are levers uh, within our economic structure that uh, when we arrive at a point where we can no longer repay our, our debt, there are bankers that will look for that debt to be repaid. And there are inevitable consequences to not repaying debt. And I think that our country is not talking about that. We're moving to discussions about putting our currency on blockchain. Uh, There's all kinds of discussions about not worrying about what our monetary, our fiscal policy is because money is so cheap, but there's there's not a free lunch. And this issue of our debt and forfeiting sovereignty are interconnected. And I think we need to be very aware of that connection when you consider the direction of the United Nations and and that gravity that exists within the United Nations to move countries into a global alignment. And this is where it comes back to your discussion about globalism or globalization. And uh, I think we need to be very careful to look at that. And much of those, many of those UN treaties are moving us to the influences of legislation that influence our people without us voting on that legislation. The case in point is the World Health Organization legislation that actually moves our, will move our sovereignty to, for the care of Canadians to the WHO over and over the heads of our government. Um, and how can that ever be? How, how could that ever be so and yet those conversations are happening and that's the nature of that treaty
0: if we find us losing uh, our sovereignty our, our nationalism where we vote we make decisions within our country and then it gets larger and larger uh, you know money we owe money so all these uh, countries uh, are being grouped it do you think it takes away the power of one individual, what their vote means, their ability to communicate with an MLA, an MP. Uh, you literally are nobody. Even if they say you have your freedoms, they're, they're going to make decisions without you. Is that what you're saying? I am, I am saying that, and the term
1: for that is democratic deficit. And that means there is a, a massive length between where governmental decisions are, are made and how they're influenced on the ground with grassroots people. And the longer that chain is, the less influence the little person at the end of the chain has to rattle the chain to affect the governor. So we want short chains between uh, the individual and the government. And uh, there's part of the ideology that we're dealing with is a movement away from the significance of the individual to this notion of a collective group which is amorphous, which is undefined, and which can easily be shaped to whatever ideological narrative that people wish to shape it to without anybody being able to contest that. And that's why democracy is so
0: powerful. I know that our university students and those who are in kind of the emerging uh, generations, they We talk about, in our generations past, about the rights of the individual. They seem to talk a lot about the rights of groups, a group of people. Um, But would you say that having individual rights is the best thing that could happen to any group?
1: It it absolutely is, uh, because it's the rights of the individual that allows people to live freely and if you bring that home to our nation, what are, what are the promises that have been breathed into the spirits of generations of Canadians? It's, it's the opportunity to build a business. It's an opportunity to raise a family. It's an opportunity to buy a house or, or land. It's the opportunity to raise your children uh, with the perspective, ideologically or from a faith perspective, the way that you wish. And that's an individual right. And that's been what has been celebrated in our nation. And yet what's happening in relation to the ethos that the Liberal government is bringing in is that we're moving to a prescription that doesn't appreciate the individual standing up to the ideology of the government. And that's exactly why uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, comments around the, the trucker convoy were so repugnant to so many Canadians. Because it, it was about a group of people, not individuals who were Canadian citizens with individual rights protected by a Charter of
0: Rights and Freedoms. So then where does truth and transparency, like the whole truth, how do we get that? Well, first of all, why is that so crucial to steering Canada back on track? And maybe how do we do that?
1: Well, I think that that's it's such a, an essential question because when you look at truth and how truth has been portrayed. A very good example of that is that shot of Prime Minister Trudeau bending a knee in the Black Lives Matter uh, demonstration, wherever it was, I think it was in Ottawa, and that being celebrated. And then we see the truth of someone bending a knee at at a peaceful demonstration in Ottawa and militarized police on horses riding through crowds. So how do you discern the truth there between what is right and wrong? In one case, one action is approved of and is right, and in the other, even though the action aligns with our charter and our freedoms, it's suddenly wrong and people are being arrested. So. Uh, this is where truth is becoming an aberration, and we need to get back to an actual understanding of what the words mean in our charter. And that, those, are, those are the disorientating realities that have come through COVID, through fear uh, of disease. And, and I believe the government has utilized that uh, fear that Canadians have had in terms of their concern for their health to roll out uh, more control by government and to marginalize our rights and freedoms.
0: Canada and our future, um, what could Canada do? I mean, I've often heard people say that the potential in Canada is incredible. From all of our resources to brilliant people, I mean, we ought to be one of, I was chatting with one guest and he said, like, I mean, we ought to be in the very top of the heap when it comes to countries with what we could do with this nation. Talking a little bit about Canada's potential and what we need to do.
1: Well, I think Canadians need to start to really think for Canadians and think for, for Canada as a sovereign state and for a long time our nation was uh, the younger brother or child of the UK and then the younger brother of the US and I think it's time for us to grow up in terms of recognizing where our place is in the world, what weight class we punch in in terms of different the different sectors uh, and then also recognize that our nation is placed between the world superpowers in terms of trade. So on our east, we have the European Union. On our south, we have the U.S. On our north, we have the Russian Federation. And on our our west, we have Asia and particularly China. So what we need to do is ensure that we carve out a, a place and maximize those trading opportunities that we're positioned exactly in the middle of and then find the way to develop technology to ensure our environment's protected, development, develop technology to ensure that um, we can mobilize our resources in the most effective way possible without destroying our, our flora and our fauna and the nation and uh, begin to trade again and, and, and also protect our intellectual property so that the, those people that invest in and take the risk to discover new technologies are protected. And that's a part of the discussion around security of our borders and our nation, and ensuring that there's not foreign interference in the operation of our government, our nation, our people, and our sovereignty.
0: You know, when you talk to people about conservatism and, and putting in leaders, they seem to be divided often as a party, or you know, it, it seems like they have a hard time getting behind something and getting an agreement. We have those who are focused totally on the so, a social issue and, and those who want a great country, and then they seem to get split. Uh, what do the conservatives need to do? I mean, if you're running to be uh, the head of the conservative party, you're gonna want the conservative party to get in. Um, what do the conservative what do you guys need to do uh, to get there
1: well i again i think it it, it need, there needs to be a recognition that this this game that's played to win the leadership of the conservative party and then try and shift left to try and win an election in terms of appealing to what some canadians call blue liberals is not is not the approach i think the approach is to Uh, look at the issues that are causing disunity in the party, uh, and actually find our place and have a consistent message without double talk. And if I look at the double talk of the last two years, uh, that's why we have people becoming disenfranchised with democracy that are on the right side of the spectrum, if you will, in Canada. That's why we're seeing the emergence of new parties, because people have given up on the Conservative Party. And I think if if people begin to discuss, and and I'm discussing with many Canadians now, the issues that are really important for them. So when I hear uh, some of the candidates for the leadership of the Conservative Party talking these days, I hear discussions about putting more money in people's pocket and putting uh, taxes down so they have a higher standard of living and, and uh, talking about how we're gonna reduce Inflation, And those are all important things that we need to deal with those issues. But that's not why uh, the, the truckers drove to Ottawa. They drove to Ottawa because the fabric of the nation is being torn and they know it. And perhaps they're, they're not articulating it the way that I am, but they're seeing their nation that they love be undermined and deconstructed. And I think that the Conservative Party needs to return to a discussion about what's really going on and recognize that unless they start having authentic, real conversations about what the the Canadians on the right think about this nation, they may risk further fragmentation and never being back in power. The problem for our nation is we cannot deal with another five years of an accelerated deterioration of our of our of our nation state the way that we're seeing a la liberal so we need a response and this goes to part of the discussion uh around my answer for why i'm doing this because we got we actually need to delve into these issues and i i sometimes think the everyday canadians that i'm talking to are, are seeing these issues a lot more clearly than the party is
0: how would you tackle inflation i mean yeah if, if we continue you're saying you know this is going to be so bad for us. So if you got in, how would you tackle inflation right now? What would you do?
1: I would unleash our our resource economy again and get the economy moving. I would seriously look at how to structure our debt so we're not having to deal with the inflation that's being increased by that. And we, I don't, I mean, my impression from listening to the existing politicians is that we're not exactly even clear what our national debt is we just know it's increasing so I think we need to really have a very good understanding of what the liberals have done in terms of their uh, direction and um, for me this is about getting the country working a lot of people ask me oh if we elect a conservative government are we moving to austerity I don't think that that's necessarily the answer. I think we need to move to infrastructure projects to actually liberate our country and unleash its potential. And that means getting back to uh, valuing entrepreneurships, uh, uh, family sustainability in terms of family businesses and incentivizing the pioneering spirit that's actually built the nation. And the same spirit that brought has brought millions of immigrants to Canada and, and contributed to our nation so positively. That's what brought, that, those are the dreams that have built the country, and they're the dreams that have brought millions of people here to help us build it. And it's not gonna be built with, with a stifled sense of a universal credit system where no one has any motivation to do anything. And that's what's being overlaid in this new social contract that I talk about. It's being rolled out, but in the last election, we didn't have the opportunity for anybody to talk about it. And that's down to the Conservatives because their job is to ask those questions.
0: Well, our time is up, but good luck uh, to you, Grant, and in the future weeks and months. And, uh, I mean, we all can be in agreement for sure that we need a strong, healthy Canada. And uh, I'm excited about hearing from anybody everywhere that says that's what we desire and that's what we're working towards. So that's our prayer, you know, Canada free. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Leon. Thank you. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.